0: Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast. Special editor's note uh, on this particular episode. As we got into our breakdown of Gladiator, we realized that we had way too much content to be able to fit into one reasonably long episode. Uh, So what we're doing is we're going to break this episode up into two parts. This will be part one, and we will finish this episode next week and conclude our breakdown of gladiator hello everyone welcome to the film for fans podcast the podcast from movie fans for movie fans i am your host ryan dunlevy joined as always by rob dunham for some reason i'm dressed as santa claus yeah you know. do know it's october and not this i do right? and I,
1: i'm vehemently against celebrating christmas before thanksgiving so
0: uh I don't, apparently I, you're not
1: i think it was just uh laundry day that's my, <laughs> only, my only excuse
0: uh so, it's, it's by
1: far the the least of the sins i have to atone for mm, in this episode of the podcast so yes indeed
0: so. this is true yeah. Uh, random side note, I had a, a friend whom I believe you know as well, a former roommate of mine, uh, who owned like three sets of clothing, uh, <laughs> so on laundry day, he would wash all of his clothing and wear a flight suit around the campus, <laughs> so whenever he was wearing a flight suit, you knew it was laundry day.
1: <laughs> excellent, excellent.
0: Yeah, there's a little anecdote there for you. But this is not a laundry podcast. This is, in fact, a movie podcast. Uh, And so we have an excellent show in store for you. We'll, of course, get into the box office and what's what's, uh, there, what's coming up. We are going to spend a significant amount of time revisiting the movie Gladiator. Um, This is a classic movie, and we thought we'd spend some time revisiting it. Or visiting it. Visiting it. (laughs) foreshadowing Uh, we'll of course also get into our watch list and rob is well into his uh horror uh education um training here so he will (laughs) he will be breaking that down for us as well all right let's get uh let's get started with the box office rob uh interesting box office this week smile takes home the number one at the box office. So apparently creepy people behind the home play at baseball games does in fact work. 22.6 million in its first week in the box office for Smile. Uh, Don't Worry Darling came in number two in its second week, Uh, 6.8 million. That's uh, up to 32 million total. Uh, The Woman King in week three, 6.8 million as well. Avatar in its second week of re-release, Put out five million and Bros in its number one week, four point nine million. Rob, would you make of the box office results from this weekend?
1: Uh, So we have seen, I think, repeatedly now that if you release a horror movie that has good production quality and Mm -hmm. any kind of advertisement at all, it's pretty much. It looks like it's almost a lock to make fifteen to twenty five million dollars. Yeah, the opening weekend. (laughs) Because it's just a built-in audience Mm -hmm. for it. And it's not, I mean, that's not a massive number, but the thing that makes it um, such a functional number and positive for movie studios is very rarely are these movies like budgeted over five to $10 million. Yeah. They're almost always making back your budget and
0: then some the opening weekend with these movies. And what's interesting about that too is one of the re- one of the ways that the horror movies do so well on the budget is they rarely cast big-name actors because it's not really a necessary part of the genre. You're not relying on star power. You're relying on the emotional experience. So therefore, you can save significantly on budget by not having to cast big-name actors in most of these horror movies. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because it's really... Um more than maybe some other things is the story driven medium yeah i mean people go to them to be scared to have some good jump scenes uh ones that are done really well have a good story to go along with it yeah Uh, i mean i i just uh got home from watching a movie in the theater that was actually just released for the first time in the theater ever that came out in 2007 Hmm. and it was um it was a horror movie without any really big names i mean the biggest name in it would was bright is brian cox who's a decent actor but he's certainly not mm-hmm. like leading man i mean if you watch movies you know who he is but he's definitely a part character you know yeah he's one of the that that guy you know um, he's, he's one of
0: people. those guys that should have been on our list that one time we did the podcast of like best supporting actors yeah yeah i don't know if he was so, or not, but he should have been
1: yeah so i mean this movie that's uh, like probably the biggest name in it was still a really good movie yeah. um and I think when you have the flexibility to spend your budget on maybe writing and direction and set design and things like that, you can create something that's just a little bit divergent, maybe better mm-hmm. uh, than some main uh, studio blockbusters that come out. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. Um, seems like Avatar is still, I mean, it, it was basically cutting... A third for week two mm-hmm. um, so I don't know what that means for it's longevity I mean it's still in the top five and like it's already you know they can basically put it in as long as they want as long as theaters are okay with showing it like there's no downside yeah for it still I mean, being there I mean it's still
1: mm-hmm. I think uh, kind of an accomplishment for a movie that has uh, you know first released so long ago that it's still made almost 20 million dollars mm-hmm pretty impressive
0: yeah yeah so we'll see um what do you make of bros in week one at
1: 4.9 not really surprised mm-hmm. uh, with the number because I think it's a very I think it's a very niche yeah uh, kind of movie so
0: uh, somebody, I th- uh, somebody should have told Billy Eichner about that because yeah. what seemed obvious to everybody else apparently wasn't obvious to him <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh yeah and it's there's uh i mean it is what it is you know mm-hmm. it's a movie for a very specific audience and um i also think there might be some pushback from some of that audience who might be like this is really necessary <laughs> yeah. so uh, i i'm wondering where the where the ground is for this movie yeah uh, because i think you're you're uh automatically uh dis- disenfranchising a good like 40 maybe plus percent of the population to the movie and you know but you know he he made it because he wanted to make it so i'm sure he was under no illusions of
0: what kind of reception it would get i think he's under so. some illusions based on comments <laughs> <laughs> but hey you know there you go all right uh, so that's uh, that's the box office roundup. By the way, just just a reference: uh, Top Gun: Maverick still made one point two million dollars this week. Yeah,
1: <laughs> so, so it made roughly uh, uh, a fifth of a bros.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, like three weeks ago, that would have been like tops of the box office with how bad it was. Like three or four yeah. weeks ago. But yeah, okay. Uh, so we have two main releases opening this weekend. Uh, the first one is Lyle, Lyle Crocodile. Uh, this is an interesting looking movie. Uh, it's, it's a feature film based on a children's book about a crocodile that lives in New York City. Uh, it stars Constance Wu and Javier Bardem. Um, it's really, it's kind of an interesting looking, uh, interesting looking kids movie. Uh, and second, we have Amsterdam. And Amsterdam is a, um, to say it's a cornucopia of high-profile stars. Uh, It's in the 1930s. Three friends witness a murder, are framed for it, and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in American history. And uh, I have to take a deep breath to, to run through all the cast on this one. Here we go. Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Alessandra Nivola, Anya Taylor-Joy, Chris Rock, Michael Shannon, Mike Myers, Taylor Swift, Timothy Olyphant, Zoe Saldana, Remy Malek, Robert De Niro. And I think I'll stop there.
1: Are we sure that Guy Ritchie is not directing this movie?
0: Because <laughs> It is, in fact, David <laughs> O. Russell. And he's Guy the Ritchie.
1: ensemble master. So He is.
0: He is. Um, so this is one of the ones that I have been waiting for to come out. This was on our fall preview issue a couple weeks ago. Uh, this was one of the ones I was most looking forward to. Rob, what, what do you make of the releases this week?
1: Uh, I'm definitely more excited about Amsterdam. Um, I still need to get to the theater to watch some of these movies that are coming out. Yeah. The one movie I saw in the theater this week was released in 2007. So <laughs> I'm a little behind the times here. Indeed. Um, but yeah, this is definitely one I've been looking forward to as well. Um, always interested to see what a director does with a big ensemble cast because... It's in art. And we mentioned Garshi because I think we unanimously agree that he's the best.
0: He's very, uh, very good at, at it.
1: Getting everything out of every person who's in a movie. And that's the big question when you're making a movie like this. Can you develop enough strong character in each character to make them interesting, to make them, to make you care about the trajectory of the character, their own separate plot line? I think another one that did this really well um, was Knives Out. Mm -hmm. i felt like there was motivation behind each character there was something unique about each one that really drew you into the story um so i'm interested to see what david o russell does here with these characters because there's a lot of talent yeah um, in that room so
0: yeah and it looks like it looks like a very intriguing uh murder mystery type uh type movie which is interesting because there's been, there's been a few of those type of movies come out recently. Um, we're seeing a, a kind of return of that type of noir murder mystery genre. Which is interesting. Okay. That is what's coming out in the box office. So there's lots of things out in the box office. Uh, lots of stuff to go check out. Uh, make sure you hit up the theater this week. All right. <clears throat> and now we get to our discussion portion and uh, just to give a little bit of background on where this comes from uh i was scrolling around tv maybe two weeks ago uh just looking for something random but watching gladiator was on and i'm like oh man i haven't seen gladiator in a long time and i only watched at that time at that moment i only watched like half hour 40 minutes of it and i'm like man i just f- you know it's, it's been a while and i just forget how good of a movie this is sometimes And I was watching thinking, oh my goodness, this is, this for me, this is almost a perfect movie. And so that got me thinking, okay, maybe it's time to go revisit this movie. It's time to take a deeper dive into Gladiator. Um, So this has launched me onto a project, uh, which will end up on filmforfans.com. Uh, which you'll hear some of the substance of on this discussion. Uh, But I did a deep dive revisiting Gladiator in which I spent about five hours uh, going through the movie and logging my thoughts on each and every scene and all the things that stood out and how how they mesh together and all the characters and all this type of stuff. So I'm going to shorten that down and produce an article uh, about Gladiator, uh, taking a look at it uh, 20-some years later. Uh, so then I, so I decided, okay, let's do it. Let's talk about it. So I said, Rob, can you watch Gladiator between last week and this week? And Rob did. However, there was a caveat in this that I was not aware of. Rob, would you like to explain yourself? Yeah,
1: unbeknownst to Ryan, this was the first time I ever watched Gladiator, which,
0: yeah, slightly unacceptable considering it's been (laughs) out for 20 years. (laughs) Yeah, Rob had never seen Gladiator until this week, folks. That happened.
1: Rob had seen a lot of memes about Gladiator, and Rob had heard a lot of quotes from Gladiator without knowing they were actually from Gladiator. And obviously, I'd seen a lot of Russell Crowe and battle armor yeah um but i had not seen the whole movie and honestly it was one where it was never one i felt like i would just pick up and throw on let's just watch this for fun because two and a half hours long i knew i was in for you know something intensive and i wanted to give it my full attention so i finally had the opportunity to do that this week and definitely also very impressed with the movie Mm -hmm. um so looking forward to discussing it a bit here
0: yeah. Uh, so just to start out, to give you to give you some background on on the movie for anyone who unlike who like Rob unacceptably has not seen the movie. Uh, basically, it came out in the year two thousand. It's about a former Roman general who sets out to exact revenge on the corrupt emperor who murdered his family and sent him into slavery. And it stars Russell Crowe. Joaquin Phoenix, Connie Nielsen, Oliver Reed, Richard Harris are the kind of the main actors of this, directed by Ridley Scott. Um, it was a massively successful movie. It won five Oscars. It was nominated for something like 10 Oscars. It won for Best Picture. It won for Best Actor, Russell Crowe. Uh, it won for Best Costume Design. It won for Best Sound and for Best Visual Effects. Uh was also nominated for best supporting actor for Joaquin Phoenix, which I'll have to go back and look and see who won that because seriously. Anyway, uh Ridley Scott was nominated for best director. He was very ticked off that he did not win this for best director.
1: <laughs> it's not often that the best director and best picture go to different people. So it's
0: it's true. It's very often that they do, even though um, in this case I think he has a gripe, but hey, it is what it is um it was nominated for best writing, best cinematography, best filmmaking, uh editing, best music, Hans Zimmer did the score for this one. Uh best art direction, all that type of stuff. So it was it was a big 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 movie. Um so that's that's kind of our starting block. That's that was Gladiator uh as we look at it. Um so rob as we as we look at it what do we what do we want to start with do we want to start with um your assessment of the overall story or do we want to get into the characters first
1: uh i think we can maybe tackle the story a bit Uh, obviously as we from this point forward if you haven't seen gladiator um you're gonna have it spoiled for you so (laughs) (laughs) indeed um I I found the so starting with the story,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, I found the hero's journey in this movie quite compelling. Mm -hmm. I really think one of the best versions of that I've seen on screen, just um, in character arc and development throughout the movie, you see Russell Crowe's character, Maximus go through some major ups and downs to say the least Um, to go from the height of leading the military to being sent out to be murdered, to becoming a slave, to becoming the most popular gladiator, um, the fan favorite, if you would, um, to being actually murdered. (laughs) There's there's a lot there. And, Mm -hmm. um, I do think that in the end, it can be argued, and I would argue that, you know, even though he died, he won. Yeah, that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that he was in the hearts of the people, which was something that um, comedists want. Joaquin Phoenix's character never quite could get, and I don't think ever got.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. I found the, the emotion of the movie to feel very genuine, which we talked about before is a difficult thing to do sometimes in the movie. Sometimes it feels like um, trying to force you to feel emotions with musical cues or way things are lit or whatever. And there is certainly some very clear direction in those ways in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the main things I'm thinking of is the color palette shifts yeah in some some of the scenes but i felt like they were effective not um hackneyed or unnecessary mm-hmm. which you know if you did too much or didn't do them justice i think could really be a danger but yeah. i didn't feel that way um with how they were done in this movie so that's kind of just some general overall thoughts i had about mm-hmm. the movie and how the story progresses and what we see there
0: Yeah, when you have a movie with the title of Gladiator, one immediately thinks that what is going to stand out about the movie are going to be the action sequences, uh, the fighting, uh, the battles, the action. And while they are excellently done, this is a story-driven movie. This is a story and a character-driven movie. And what you see is you do not see like a thin-papered story Layered over, uh, basically just to connect different action sequences. What you see is a is a complex emotionally driven multi-layered story uh, that gives the the movie a a both a grandiose feel and a and a depth and a, a sense of meaning to it. Um, this is not something that's really easy to find in, uh, in high quality action movies. Uh, it's one of the reasons why it was able to be considered best picture. Uh, Of course, this is also has, you know, something to do with where the awards were at that time. And, uh, you know, it was less about the awards kind of looking down on the audience. (laughs) This is, this is back in a time when a popular movie could actually win best picture, um, but the reason why it was able to be considered is because of the level of the story, um, the journey of the characters, um, the, it's not just a, a story about a single individual. It's, it's a story about multiple characters coming from multiple sides who have, uh, well written rounds, um, complex motivations, um, and all of it kind of coalesces so you have all the characters right there at the beginning and then they all get flung out into different spaces and then slowly they work themselves back together until you have this culmination and and the movie shifts the movie shifts in tone at various points um you have the you have the initial flurry of action where marcus aurelius is killed and maximus the attempted murder of maximus then you have that long middle where maximus is out in the outer territories fighting in gladiator arenas and commodus is uh, you know honing in on his power inside rome and then by the time they work themselves back together then the political intrigue aspect starts and that's it's just as the story comes along, you you have different things to chew on, different experiences, and it's it really makes for just a story that just keeps growing as you go through it. Yeah
1: you know, one one thing I found uh, interesting, and you said that um, you highly recommend the director's cut of this movie, is that mm-hmm. uh, for a two and a half hour long movie, it felt almost short. Yeah. Like it felt like there was way more that could have been done. And obviously, I'm assuming a lot of that is displayed in
0: um, his vision, the director's cut um, of and the movie. It's actually, what I will say is, it's actually an extended edition and not a director's cut. Okay. Um, he explains that at the beginning. He was like, this is not the director. He actually got what he wanted in the original film, mm. but he thought there were other things that he wanted to put in there, as opposed to another Ridley Scott film, Kingdom of Heaven. In which he created a director's cut, and at the beginning of that one, he explains this is the movie how it should have been. <laughs> so yeah, that is that is one distinction.
1: That's a fascinating distinction.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and there were there were aspects that they didn't get a chance to go to. Um, and this is one of the things with if you have seen the extended edition. Uh, really Scott makes the makes the claim that the reason why some of the other uh, political intrigue and particular some of the stuff that got cut was Connie Nielsen's Lucilla character. Um, a lot of her behind the scenes role were explicated in the extended edition. Um, the reason they cut some of that out was because they wanted the movie to focus around the character of Maximus. And when they went too far afield of doing that, he uh, felt like that would take away from the story yeah and this uh, maybe we'll use this as a segue into the characters one of the things that I think drives this movie is the triad of Commodus Lucilla Maximus that tri- the relationship, that triad relationship between those three characters and how complex that back and forth is, is really what drives this entire movie. Um, Commodus is jealous of Maximus. Maximus um, had a falling out and a previous relationship with Lucilla. Um, there's that complex brother-sister relationship between Commodus and Lucilla. And all of that that tension between those relationships is what drives the story forward. That and then uh, you add on top of it uh, the Marcus Aurelius character. How his his role is small because he's only at the very beginning of the movie. But it's his actions that kind of set the entire thing in motion some of which you see on screen and some of which you just infer as to how the characters talk as to what has happened previously.
1: Yeah. So I would say that, um, that is a fascinating dynamic, like you said, between the three characters, because it's a love triangle in that, um, each of them loves one of the other ones, but they don't all love the same person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, apologies to anyone who's watching the podcast from Alabama, but holy Alabama Batman. Um, (laughs) I don't think we have any listeners from Alabama, so I think I'm safe to say that. Uh, Yeah, I I, I find it really, really fascinating and unnerving a bit. Mm. Um, Like you said, Joaquin Phoenix deserves um, plaudits for just entirely how creepy he is in this movie uh because he plays the creepiness with earnestness which makes it like really way more creepy
0: yeah and and if you know anything about roman history his character really rings true based on what you know about some of previous roman emperors i mean they're like this is a character that really could have existed uh, during the time of the Roman Empire. But this was my first introduction to Joaquin Phoenix. I know he's been in, he had been in some stuff previously, but I think this was his biggest role to date, if I'm not mistaken. And this, I mean, we now come to accept Joaquin Phoenix as one of the greatest actors of his generation. Uh, but this was really the role where everyone was like, okay, all right, this is a performance. Yeah. And
1: I, I think that um, Russell Crowe also, uh, it's just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. This movie, well-deserving of the best actor, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and the the tension of Lucilla's character is maybe one of the most fascinating aspects of it is really Because obviously she doesn't want to be with her brother mm-hmm. because she's creeped out by that. <laughs> but at the same time, she obviously doesn't want to die and she doesn't want to be completely um, stripped of what little power she might have. So there's not much of an option for her Mm -hmm. in this culture um, as to what to do. But at the same time, she yearns to be with uh, Maximus. So what do you do in those moments? What what kind of choice can you even make? Mm -hmm. Um, a, A lot of the agency is taken away from her. Um, yeah. Based on, like I said, the culture that she was living in, the time period um, that she was living in. And you mentioned Marcus Rayleigh's character and how it, he, he's only really in the first what, 20, 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Uh, because he's killed. But the movie doesn't exist without his character.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: He's literally the motivation for every other main character. Yeah. To do what they do, I mean, as much as Maximus, um, you know, is is also driven by revenge to avenge his family.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the reason why he was cast out and murdered, or uh, attempted, they attempted to murder him, and they murdered his family in the first place was because of the decision that Marcus Aurelius had made to place mm-hmm. him in control yeah. to make him emperor. So, without that initial decision, none of that would have happened. Yeah. So it really all goes back to that character and he
0: therefore drives the motivation of everyone else throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And Richard Harris is brilliant as Richard Harris always is in this role. Uh, but he, he plays this weary leader at the end of his life concerned about his legacy. Uh, but it's really his own failures that set in motion the world that, that was created in this movie. Um and he really, what's interesting, he is, he really is, he portrays a very sympathetic character. Like he, you feel for him, you feel sympathy for him as a character. Um, yet his, he has, he has pretty amazing flaws in this one. You know, he spends his entire life on at one aspect of legacy, gets to the end of his life and realizes, you know what? this probably wasn't what I should have been pursuing. I should have been doing something else. Um, But but then for him to be able to, for him to understand on some level who his son Commodus is. At one point he says, Commodus is not a moral man. He understands this. He doesn't want him to rule. He rules against him. At the same point, he's wildly naive about what his son is actually going to do with this. I mean he speaks to, he doesn't tell anybody else other than maximus about what his plans are he tells Com- commodus alone in his tent and and you know at one point he even appears shocked that commodus is upset about the decision and and so it's it's weird it's like he knows who his son is but he's wildly naive about his, his son's ambitions uh, which is an interesting juxtaposition. And, and the whole idea that Marcus Aurelius loved Maximus as a son and not Commodus as a son um, is one of the major motivations throughout the entire movie. It's one of the major things that plays out from this, um, which we can get to a little bit more once we get to the character of Commodus um anything more you started in on lucilla any any more you want to talk about uh about her character
1: i felt that uh, i just feel that she played that taut emotional uh tightrope she was walking on Mm -hmm. incredibly i felt like you could feel a lot of that internal turmoil in her in the facial expressions of the character not necessarily in what she said Mm -hmm. which i made it so effective i think especially of the one scene um where they're in the bed chamber and she like walks out after he had just laid next to her and like laid his head on her chest and you can see her walking out with, like her arms folded and just the expression on her face of what do i do yeah you know i felt mm-hmm. it was very effective.
0: i think she is one of the best most dynamic female characters i've ever seen in the movie Because she has her strengths, she has her weaknesses, she has this complex world that she's having to to walk through. As you were saying, she has to walk the tightrope literally the entire movie. And she has all these different motivations. Kind of like her brother, she has a Machiavellian side. You know, she has, she has the manipulative political mind. Um, Marcus Aurelius says at the beginning, if only you'd been born a a man, what a Caesar you would have made. Um, And that really illustrates like the depth to which her character has all the leadership abilities that her brother lacks. um, But is held back because of, of her role in society. But at the same time, like, you know, she's the one having to control her brother both for, for the sake of the Roman empire, but also for the sake of herself and her son and that juxtaposition of her son versus, you know, trying to protect her son, trying to protect herself, trying to protect the kingdom at the same time, like because of that Machiavellian side, because, because she will do what it takes to survive. Um, She lives in a world that's gray And Maximus lives in a world that's black and white. And you can tell this is one of the reasons why he doesn't trust her. Um, Because she's so good at keeping herself out of trouble. um, It makes her difficult to trust. Mm -hmm. And, And you see that and you get that and you see that tension. So there's multiple scenes where she's having to try and convince somebody that she can be trusted. Maximus on several occasions. And it's hard for her because of that. And so what she has to do to survive is also one of the obstacles to her actually surviving, which that kind of level of writing of character. And you're totally right. Her character plays the facial expression So, so well, especially in conjunction with Joaquin Phoenix. So what do we make of, uh, what do we make of Commodus? I
1: think, I think that he is a slimy, nasty, (laughs) underhanded son of a, you know. Yeah. And I think that Joaquin Phoenix plays that to a T. Mm-hmm. Because he, a a lot of the things he says sound okay, I guess, but there's always something underneath it. And I think that there's something tonally about that character that like i said joaquin pulls off yeah that i'm not sure i'm not sure how many other actors could have that nuance in the character because i mean he's not outrightly coming out all the time being like i'm gonna kill everyone but like you know it's there Mm -hmm. it comes out a little bit at a time um but he's just like smarmy and self-satisfied and he's just a really good bad guy
0: yeah (laughs) what what's so awesome about how they write his character is there are moments where you almost feel a sympathy for him which for a character as as creepy and slimy like like the moment where he finds out that he's not going to rule he hasn't done anything super terrible yet you know i mean you see him play in the political game and you see you see his his naked ambition his lust for power at, up to that point but you don't necessarily see that he has done anything evil yet and so there's a moment where you almost feel for him as he's realizing that his father doesn't want him to rule and what's more that his father doesn't love him as much as he loves maximus there's almost almost a moment where you feel sympathy for him of course then he immediately proceeds to smother his aging father and then it's all gone but you can you can get that and so um what's fascinating is you know he is also Machiavellian, but unlike Lucilla, he's the he has the sociopath element along with it. Of course, he's amoral, he's authoritarian, he's mentally unstable. Uh he's got all of these. And and what's so fascinating is, is all of his motivations are have that have that negative side. Like he's unloved by his father, he's spurned by his sister, who he's got the desires for you know he's got this rival in Maximus who is everything he would love to be but isn't um, on top of that he's got the ambition side and he knows just enough about the politics to be dangerous and you know his motivation is is interestingly complex because you know throughout the movie he's talking about oh we'll do this in my father's honor we'll do this in my father's honor so in, there's a sense in which he wants to honor his father at the same time, like everything he's doing to honor his father is a direct tearing down of what his father would have wanted and his father's legacy. So you can see the complexity in, in his motivations as he's going about it. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so great. And and that hinging on the levels of mental instability and, and that wild mood swings, man, Joaquin Phoenix is good at that. Maybe because he's a little bit like that in real life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that concludes part one of our Gladiator Revisited podcast. Uh, stay tuned for next week where we break down our favorite scenes from the movie and all the other extras that go along with it.